Hello and welcome back. Today we're going to go through both lessons 18 and 19 because uh, they're both fairly short. Pastor Merritt's Old Testament overview. Again, we're glad you're here. Before we begin, let's remember 1 John 1.9 as may or may not be necessary. Old Testament Overview, Lesson 18. Again, we are on page 2.7. Page 2.7. Verse 13. I do set my bow in the cloud. 7.1. The sign of the rainbow should assure sinners that the forbearance of God is reigning. And we are under his grace. Romans 4, chapter 1 through 8 is reference. Point eight, verse 15. And now for one of the more formidable of anthropopathisms. 8.1. The glory of God is shown by the things which he remembers and by those which he forgets. He remembers his covenant, but our sins and our iniquities he will remember no more. Our sins are behind his back as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember their iniquity no more. 8.2. The analogy is perfect. The flood of judgment has fallen upon Christ and carried him to his death while we have been placed, snug and safe, in the ark of his love. Those who do not believe in the eternal security of the believer tear the rainbow his metaphor for grace, from the covenant of God and thus try to make him a liar. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 8.3 In verse 15, God said he would remember his covenant. Now he says that he will look upon the rainbow as a reminder to never forget. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 and 19. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. Point 9. Verses 18 and 19. These are the three sons of Noah. 9.1. The sons of Shem were the Arabs and the Jews. The Hamites were the Egyptians, Babylonians, Hittites, Canaanites, Phoenicians, and Carthaginians. The sons of Japheth were those who settled north, west, and east of Palestine, certainly to include the Europeans, Russians, Chinese, Indians, 
North and South Americans, etc. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 through 24. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son had done unto him. Point 10. Verses 20 through 24, and Noah drank and acted shamefully. 10.1. The evil that was in the earth, and which had in part invoked the anger of God against the human race, was also within the ark in the old sin nature of Noah, his sons, and their four wives. Even the grace of God does not eliminate the old sin natures within man. Instead, his grace makes possible the control of that nature, or better said, to avoid its absolute control. 10.2. Even God does not deal with the old, unregenerate heart. He declares it to be incurable. Jeremiah 17.9. It reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 10.3. Even in view of the sinful folly of Noah, just after his and his family's deliverance, it is important to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit in the New Testament has recorded Aorded, Noah, as a preacher of righteousness. That's from 2 Peter 2.5, and it reads, And spared not the old world. But saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. 10.4. Noah is a great illustration of the fact that many men in the, in the Bible who were strong for God when they were young departed from the will of God when they were older. It is a proof that past work does not furnish power for future victory. 10.5. Power to produce comes only from metabolized doctrine in the soul. According to most denominations, Noah would have been lost at this moment. But according to the eternal covenants of God's grace, Noah was covered by the righteousness of God even when the product of his sinful nature was most clearly visible in all its folly. 10.6. He could have said with David, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a beast toward thee. That's Psalms 73, verse 22. It reads, So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. 10.7. In the New Testament record, there is no breath of any of this scandal. God who remembers his covenants also paid for man's sins. Noah is listed among the heroes of faith and is counted as an heir of righteousness. 
Hebrews 11, chapter 7, and it reads, By faith, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. 10.8 Just as Noah was given a great task to do after his attempted flight from the will of God, so Noah was given a new opportunity to be the mouthpiece of God. The circumstances of his sin are made the framework of the prophecy which God speaks through him. Genesis chapter 9, verse 25 through 29. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years. And all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. Point 11. Verses 25 through 29. Ham and his descendants are cursed. Sheth and Japheth are blessed. 11.1. The man who was drunk with wine is now filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 18. He is now covered with the garment of prophecy and speaks forth the word of God by foretelling the general nature and performance of each son's descendants. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be ye not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. 11.2. It is necessary to right a great wrong at this point. Never in all history, until the middle of the 19th century, did anyone imagine that Ham was the father of the Negro peoples and that there was a curse upon him. Prejudiced souls who wished to justify their investments in human flesh resorted to subterfuge to bolster their position regarding slavery. 11.3. Any attempt to make only black-skinned people the fulfillment of this curse is unscholarly and certainly without basis in the Bible. 11.4. Significant, of course, is verse 26. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. 11.5. The blessing is not upon Shem, but upon the God of Shem. Nothing can take root in man. It is the God of Shem who will bring forth Christ from Shem. From Israel, more particularly, the tribe of Judah, came the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Point 12. Let me summarize the life of Noah before proceeding with chapter 10. Point 13. Noah was the last of the antediluvian patriarchs. Point 14. When Noah was 480 years old, God announced a 120-year period of final probation, and soon after this, he was giving the blueprint for the ark. Point 15. With half a millennium of experience, 
Noah was doubtless well qualified for such a task. But the important qualifications were spiritual. Noah found favor in the eyes of Jehovah, a righteous man, and perfect in his generations. Point 16. In spite of the difficulty of imagining rain and floods, things not seen as yet, Hebrews 11.7 compared with Genesis 2.5, and enduring the scoffing of his contemporaries, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, Noah, by faith, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, through which he condemned the world. Point 17. While the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, the great patriarch, as a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, was no doubt constantly explaining the terrifying significance of his project to the world of the ungodly that surrounded him. Point 18. Civilization was probably sufficiently advanced at the time to enable the news of Noah's activities to spread to men all over the globe. That's the end of Lesson 18, but oh wait, there's more. That was such a short lesson. Let's go ahead and press on and go to number 19. If you're following along in the outline, I'll give you a second to get there. But we will be starting on page 2 at point 3.7. Pastor Merritt's overview. Lesson number 19. 3.7. After the age of 500, Noah became the father of his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 3.8. Shem was probably the youngest, being born, being born when Noah was 503. Having stored in the ark all the food that is eaten, Noah entered the ark in the second month of his 600th year. 3.9. God not only brought the animals to the ark and closed the door, but also provided for all their needs throughout the flood. Implied by the expression, God remembered Noah and every living thing. 3.10 After a year, at God's command, Noah and his fellow travelers exited the ark unto dry land. 3.11 After the flood... Noah offered up on an altar one each of the clean animals as a special sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. 3.12 This climax of Noah's career, together with God's gracious promises in the Noahic covenant, was followed several years later by an episode that confirms the preservation of sinful human nature through the flood. 3.13 Noah became a husbandman, planted a vineyard, drank himself into a drunken stupor, and shamefully exposed himself in his tent. 3.14 Ham, presumably 
led by his son Canaan, made fun of Noah. For this foul deed, Canaan was cursed, and Ham received no blessing. 3.15 On the other hand, Shem and Japheth showed due respect to their father and received rich blessings for their descendants. 3.16 Noah lived 350 years after the flood, dying at the age of 950. He was truly one of the greatest men in history. Now let's take a quick trip through Genesis chapter 10. All right, let's go with Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Mesesh, and Tiras. And the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Rapath, and Togarma, and the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Ketim, and Dadanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their hands, every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizam, and Phut, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, and Zapath, and Ramah, and Sabtechah, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. The children of Shem, Elam, and Asur, and Arphraxad, and Lud, and Aram. The children of Aram, Uz, and Hul, and Gether, and Mash. And Afraxad begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Jactan. And Jactan begat Amodad, and Shelef, and, and Hazar Maveth, and Jerah, and Hadaram, and Uzal, and Diklah, and Obabal, and Abimal, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab, all of these were the sons of Jactan, and their dwelling was from Misha. As thou goest unto Safar, a mount of the east. Alright, one thing I can tell you for sure about Genesis 1 through 7 and then 22 to 30 that I just read. If this was a pronunciation test, I failed miserably. But let's press on. Point 1. Some may wonder what is the value of the begotten passages with their long list of unpronounceable names? Well, I'm glad that's there. That made me feel much better, but maybe a little. 
we have already seen their usefulness in our study of the book of the Revelation. The begattings were valuable in determining the players in eschatology, like Gog and Magog, king of the north, etc. 1.1. There may be verses in the scripture that are used spiritually every day, but chapters like this one have frequently confounded the critics and proved the accuracy of the word of God as each archaeological find verifies the begattings. I will only hit the high spots in chapter 10, so saddle up and get ready to ride. Point two. Now let's back up and take a look at verses 8 through 10. Nimrod, he became one of the mighty ones in the earth. Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 through 10. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginnings of his kingdom was Babel, and Erek, and Akkad, and Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. 2.1 Hidden under the poor English translation. Wow. You think Pastor Merritt might have saw a time in history when I'd be the one presenting this? Because it's starting to sound like it. Let's continue. Is a horrible story of desperate rebellion against God. God had pronounced a curse upon Ham, and now Satan raises Nimrod, king of Babylon and descendant of Ham, to nullify the curse of God. 2.2 The Hebrew reads, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty tyrant in the land. He was a terrible subjugator, defiant before the face of Jehovah, wherefore it is said, Nimrod, the giant hunter, was presumptuous in the presence of Jehovah. 2.3. Here is the beginning of human dictatorship and organized rebellion against God. Collective man will prove exponentially more evil than individual man. This is why big government, according to the scripture, is bad and little government is good. 2.4. Verse 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel the Great, the mother of all harlots. 2.5. When we studied the book of the Revelation, we saw religious Babylon, political Babylon, and commercial Babylon, all coming under the judgment of God. Babylon in each case represented spheres over which the Antichrist ruled. 2.5.1. Dr. Dwight Pentecost in his book, Things to Come, Dunham Publishing Company has put together an excellent compilation of the historical identity of the harlot as found in the book of the Revelation. It all began with Nimrod in the land of Babylon. The woman is a religious system who dominates the civil power, at least for a time. The name upon her forehead should easily enable us to identify her. 
But in order to do that, we would do well to go back to our Old Testament and see what is there revealed concerning literal Babylon. For the one will surely throw light upon the other. We learn that the founder of Babel, or Babylon, was Nimrod. Nimrod was a grandson of Ham, the unworthy son of Noah. Noah had brought through the flood the revelation of the true God. Ham, on the other hand, seems to have been all too readily affected by the apostasy that brought the food, for he shows no evidence of self-judgment. His name means darkened, or more literally, the sunburned, and the name indicates the state of the man's soul. Ham begat a son named Cush, the black one, and he became the father of Nimrod, the apostle leader of his generation. Ancient lore now comes to our assistance and tells us that the wife of Nimrod, Bar Cush, was the infamous Semiramis, the first high priestess of adultery. Thus, Babylon became the foundation head of of adultery, and the mother of every heathen and pagan system in the world. The mystery religion that was there originated spread in various forms throughout the whole earth, and is with us today, and shall have its fullest development. Holy Spirit has departed, and the Babylon of the apocalypse holds sway. Building on the primeval promise of the woman's seed who was to come. Semiramis bore a son who she declared was miraculously conceived. And when she presented him to the people, he was hailed as the promised deliverer. This was Tammuz. Thus was introduced the mystery of the mother and the child, a form of adultery that is older than any other known to man. The rites of this worship were secret. It was Satan's effort to delude mankind with an imitation so like the truth of God that they would not know the true seed of the woman when he came in the fullness of time. From Babylon, this mystery religion spread to all the surrounding nations. Everywhere the symbols were the same and everywhere the cult of the mother and the child became the popular system. Their worship was celebrated with the most disgusting and immoral practices. The image of the Queen of Heaven with the babe in her arms was seen everywhere, though the names differed as languages differed. It became the mystery religion of Phoenicia, and by the Phoenicians, was carried to the ends of the earth. Ashtoreth and Tammuz, the mother and child of these hardy adventurers, became Isis and Horus in Egypt, Aphrodite and Eros in Greece, Venus and Cupid in Italy, and bore many other names in more distant places. Within 1,000 years, Babylonianism had become the religion of the world. 
which had rejected the divine revelation. Linked with this central mystery were countless lesser mysteries. Among these were the doctrines of purgatorial purification after death, salvation by countless sacraments, such as priestly absolution, sprinkling with holy water, the offering of round cakes to the Queen of Heaven, as mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, dedication of virgins to the gods, which was literally sanctified prostitution. Weeping for Tammuz was a period of 40 days prior to the great festival of Estar, who was said to have received her son back from the dead. For it was taught that Tammuz was slain by a wild boar and afterwards brought back to life. To him the egg was sacred, as depicting the mystery of his resurrection, even as the evergreen was his chosen symbol and was set up in honor of his birth at the winter solstice. The sign of the cross was sacred to Tammuz as symbolizing the life-giving principles and as the first letter of his name. It is represented on many altars today and did not, as many have supposed, originate with Christianity. From this mystery religion, the patriarch Abraham was separated by divine call, and with the same evil cult, the nation that sprang from him was in constant conflict, until under Jezebel, a Phoenician princess, it was grafted onto what was left of the religion of Israel in the northern kingdom in the day of Ahab and was the cause of their captivity. Judah was polluted by it, and only by being sent into captivity to Babylon itself did Judah become cured of her fondness for adultery. From there, they afterwards crossed the sea and immigrated to Italy. Under the name of the Etruscan Mysteries, and eventually Rome became the headquarters of Babylonianism. The chief priest wore mitras shaped like the head of a fish, in honor of Dagon, the fish god, the lord of life, another form of the Tammuz mystery, as developed among Israel's old enemies, the Philistines. The chief priest, when established in Rome, took the title Pontifex Maximus, and this was imprinted on his mitre. When Julius Caesar had become the head of the state, he was elected Pontifex Maximus, and this title was held henceforth by all the Roman emperors down to Constantine the Great, who was at one and the same time head of the church and high priest of the heathen. The title was afterwards conferred upon the bishops of Rome, and is borne by the Pope today, who is thus declared to be not the successor of fisherman Apostle Peter, but direct successor of the high priest of the Babylonian mystery, and the servant of the fish god Dagon, for whom he wears his idolatrous predecessors the fisherman's ring.
During the early centuries of the church's history, the mystery of iniquity had wrought with such astounding effect and Babylonian practices and teaching had been so largely absorbed that which bore the name of the Church of Christ, that the truth of the Holy Scriptures on many points had been wholly obscured, while adulterous practices had been foisted upon the people as Christian sacraments, and heathen philosophies took the place of gospel instruction. Thus was developed that amazing system which for a thousand years dominated Europe and trafficked in the body of souls of men until the great reformation of the 16th century brought in a measure of deliverance. 2.6. Man may think that his affairs are succeeding because they have the first flush of success. But God does not settle his accounts when men reap the first harvest. As Barnhouse writes, Through the mills of God grind slowly. They grind exceedingly small. 2.7 The whole purpose of history is to demonstrate that there is no possible solution to any problems through man, but that only God's wisdom and power can bring righteousness. Well, that's the end of Lesson 19. Again, we thank you for joining us. Please go to westbankbiblechurch.com. You can listen to lessons there and get more information. Uh, I also wanted to mention, talking to Pastor Merritt today, and he's been thinking a lot about the rapture. And one of the things that I did not know, I find it very interesting, the word rapture is not in our Bible. Uh, It's in the Catholic Bible. If you'd like to learn more, uh, you can go into the podcast back from in August and lessons from translations, uh, lessons one through four. You can pick up a lot there. Uh, Very interesting. Before we close, if there's anyone listening without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, please remember all you got to do, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So long.